They didn't live long lives, but lives, but they lived meaningful lives. Their lives were distressingly small in quantity, but growingly large in quality. And no greater tribute can be paid to you as parents, and no greater epitaph can come to them as children. Shakespeare had Horatio to say some beautiful words as he stood over the dead body of Hamlet. And today as I stand over the remains of these beautiful darling girls, I paraphrase the words of Shakespeare. Good night, sweet princesses. Good night, those who symbolize a new day. And may the flight of angels Take thee to thy eternal rest. The voice of the one and only Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, delivering the eulogy for those four little girls killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church in what was then called Bombingham, Alabama, for obvious reasons. I'm Tabby Smiley. Glad to have you tuned in to us this hour. Uh, our guest uh, is Jerry Mitchell, uh, founder of the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting and author of a book called Race Against Time. A reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era. I look forward to a conversation in this hour uh, about some of the nation's most notorious civil rights crimes uh, as far back as 60 years ago. Jerry Mitchell, good to have you on this program. How are you today, sir? Uh, do well, Mr. Smiley. Appreciate it so much. No, good to have you on the program. Please call me Tabis, and I'm uh, delighted to have you on for, for, <laughs> for, the, for the hour, man. Thank you. Um, when you hear, um, you. Uh, every time I hear it, um, I, I get chills. When you hear uh, Dr. King's voice delivering the eulogy for yeah. these four little girls, you think what? How does it process? How do? You, how does it hit you? Well, it's just it. It. Uh, it hits my soul deeply and even more so the families uh, that I know and, and it went, been through, lived through this, you know, it's just awful what happened and, and beyond what we can really imagine. And, and so, um, was able, uh, fortunate enough to attend the 60th anniversary service, memorial service, not too long ago. And just to see the crowd gathered and to, recall what happened and of course this is a culmination the reason for the attack on this church was because this church became had become a place from which the children had marched in uh, birmingham mm-hmm. and so just it's so moving so moving and and but grateful too to see some of the uh, people who've been respond who were responsible for that awful terrorist attack mm-hmm. uh, to finally uh, be punished. For those who don't recall this, and you just put your finger on it, um, this bombing at this church, which killed these four little girls, uh, was primarily, or certainly in large part, a retaliation uh, against this church for these kids uh, uh, marching in the streets. Um, uh, and the church was the origin, um, the place that many of them marched from. So these this terrorist attack was really designed as a punishment for the church for being involved in the movement and uh, and organizing these kids to march there uh, uh, from their locale. Uh, that that's that's it's pretty devastating to hear all these years later. I mean, those of us who know the story know how 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 just despicable that was. But to punish a church yes. by killing four little girls, 
um, for their yeah. involvement in allowing kids to march in the movement. It's just it's it's arresting to hear. Not not that this kind of nonsense doesn't still happen uh, in this country and parts around the globe where people where white supremacy raises, of course, its ugly head. But to yeah. think but to think that they were punishing Jerry the church for allowing those kids to march is just it's arresting all over again. It is, and, and of course, that was uh, uh, one of like forty uh, something bombings just in Birmingham alone. Mm-hmm. You know, the attacks on the black community—that—that's why it was called Bombingham, as you mentioned earlier. Sure. Uh, there was actually a black neighborhood that um, had the the nickname of Dynamite Hill. It, it, you know, and of course, Reverend Shuttlesworth, Fred Shuttlesworth, mm-hmm. who's sometimes forgotten in this story was the one who invited Dr. King in. Right. He had his house blown up on Christmas Day. He had was severely beaten um, by a white mob when he tried to enroll his two daughters at all-white Birmingham School in 1957. In fact, one of the bombers actually um, participated in that attack. Mm-hmm. His name is Bobby Cherry. So, yeah, yeah it's just... Uh, it's incredible to think, you know, I think the thing that's unfortunate these days is people don't want to talk about it. They say, oh, this is uncomfortable history. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just staggered by that because history can often be uncomfortable. Um, I know I saw a teacher tweet out the other day. She was uh, on Twitter and said, I have a white student, eighth grade student. They were just studying about Native Americans, uh, something that happened to Native Americans. And so why do we have to study about things that are so sad? Mm. And she was asking for how she could respond to this student. And, and my what I suggested as a response was sometimes history is sad, sometimes it's happy, but we must tell the truth. You know, that, that's what's important. We've got to tell the truth. Yeah. And the truth is, white supremacy has long been a part of this nation's history. Yeah, what what some people call uncomfortable history, um, our guest in this hour, Jerry Mitchell, calls a race against time. Uh, and that's what this conversation is going to be about. When we come forward, I want to ask him directly, uh, what is this race against time that we find ourselves in regarding um, the drive to reopen some of these unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era? And speaking of the four little girls, killed in that 16th Street Baptist Church. Uh, I once, uh, well, actually more than once, uh, I've known Condi Rice, that, as is, that's Condoleezza Rice. We had a guest in our first hour who's a regular contributor to this program, Jerry. Her name is Connie Rice. And Connie Rice just happens to be the first cousin of Condi Rice. So Connie and Condoleezza are first cousins. Their politics are nothing alike. But there's a fascinating story that Condi Rice told me uh, about the 16th Street Baptist Church. Condi was born and raised in Birmingham. And um, I'll tell you an interesting story about Condi uh, on the day of this bombing at the church that you may not know. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that and a great deal more with Jerry Mitchell when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Ready to reexamine your assumptions and expand your inventory, expand of, ideas? Your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Fifteen minutes past midnight, Evers got out of his car beside his home in a Negro residential area. In a vacant lot about 40 yards away, a sniper fired a single shot from a high-powered rifle at Evers' silhouette. 
The bullet hit him in the back, crashed through his body, through a window into the house. He died within an hour at a Jackson hospital. City detectives believe the fatal shot was fired from this sweet gum tree. They have found a rifle in the bushes, which they think is the murder weapon. They say they also have other clues. Earlier we played a clip of uh, Dr. King delivering the eulogy for the four little girls killed in the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, And there you hear an NBC News file report uh, about the night that Medgar Evers uh, was murdered in his driveway uh, in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, At the time, of course, Medgar was the head of the NAACP in Mississippi. Um, And we are talking in this hour uh, with investigative reporter Jerry Mitchell about the race against time that we are in um, to uh, reopen and and solve some of these murder cases of the civil rights era, some as far back, of course, as 60 years ago. His book is called Race Against Time, and we'll talk about the race against time we are in in just a moment. I promised uh, minutes ago that I would tell you a quick story in case you've not heard this story. And I didn't know this until Condi. I mean, I've known Condi for years, and um, we've had some interesting exchanges. Our our politics are not the same, uh, obviously, not by far. Um, She's a Republican, conservative, I'm an unapologetically progressive uh, person. Uh, And yet we spent a lot of time together over the years and had a number of conversations. As a matter of fact, speaking of of the South uh, and the civil rights era, um, we were both invited um, with a few others to speak uh, at the uh, homegoing service for Rosa Parks uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, in the church that she attended while she lived in the city. Uh, you'll recall after the Montgomery bus boycott some years later, she moved from Montgomery to Detroit, Mrs. Parks did, where she worked for many years for the late great Congressman John Conyers. A little history if you didn't know this. So she leaves Montgomery, moves to Detroit, and for many years, for decades, she worked for John Conyers, the late great Congressman of Detroit, until um, she uh, retired uh, and spent a lot of time here in L.A. in the winter months. She'd leave Detroit in the winter months and come to L.A., uh, and that's how I got to meet Mrs. Parks and become dear friends with her in my very first book signing years ago. I've written 24 books now. My very first book signing was a book signing that she invited me to do with her. There's a whole story behind that. But imagine as a young black guy, young young male, uh, doing your first signing for your very first book, and you're doing it seated next to Rosa Parks. Uh, quite the story. Uh, I'll say that for another time. But she and I were dear friends. Uh, and so I was invited to give the eulogy, one of the eulogies at her service in Montgomery. And seated beside me that day was Condi Rice representing the Bush administration. So Condi and I uh, were seatmates at the homegoing service for, for Rose Parks. But uh, we had a number of conversations publicly and privately, uh, Secretary of State uh, Condi Rice and I did. And in one of those conversations, Jerry, she shared with me the story. Of, of course, I, I knew this part, being born and raised in Birmingham. Her family eventually moved to Denver. They left Birmingham because it was, in fact, Bombingham. And her father was uh, right. afraid to stay in that city much longer. Part of, part of, part of uh, what put the fear in uh, Condi's father was that Condi was really good friends with one of the four girls killed in that bombing. And mm-hmm. Condi had been invited to go to church with her friend that day. So Condi was, wow. literally, Condi was literally on her way to the 16th Street Baptist Church for service that day. Uh, and had she gone, she would have been in the basement seated next to her friend when that bomb went off that killed her friend and three other girls. Condi would have been seated right there, and we might not ever know the name uh, as we've known it, Condi Lisa Rice, former Secretary of State. 
Uh, and the only reason why she wasn't there is because her father remembered at the last minute that they were having a special program at their church that day. And Connie was disappointed, almost to the point of tears, because she had promised her friend that she would go with her. And she was excited to go to church with her friend that Sunday morning. But her father said, no, 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 not today, Connie. We have a special program at our church. And I'm sorry, I forgot. But you got to go to our home church today. And next Sunday, I'll let you go with your friend. And only because of that, Condi Rice was not in that basement at the 16th Street Baptist Church, seated next to her friend. Her friend dies. Condi lives. Her father couldn't take it anymore, and they eventually moved out of Birmingham mm -hmm. and moved to Denver, Colorado. Uh, and um, that's a whole other fascinating story uh, because when she's in Colorado, uh, her father's a professor, uh, and Condi ends up as a student uh, uh, years later. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. years later, Condi ends up as Secretary of State. But her predecessor, Madeline Albright, was taught by Condi's father. I mean, it's a fascinating story. These relationships between student wow. and teacher, secretary of state, just a fascinating sort of story. But anyway, um, Condi would have been in that church that Sunday morning had that not happened. So if you never heard that Condi Rice story, it's, it's a true story. Um, mm, I'm not. Yeah, that's, Con that's Con yeah Condi incredible. shared that. Yeah, it's an incredible story. Condi shared that with me. And so it's, it's um, you know, life is life uh, has interesting twist, uh, twists and turns. That said, your book is called Race Against Time. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, there are many that don't want to hear this history, don't want to talk about it. They call it uncomfortable history, but you call it a race against time. So let me just ask you point blank. What is the race against time that we find ourselves in? Well, it's a race against time uh, to learn the truth, to tell the truth. It's a race against time to, um, you know, for justice, I think, as well. And certainly, as I outlined in the book, you know, there were witnesses who were dying. There were, you know, people, suspects who were dying. And so it was literally a race. It's been a race against time to you know, pursue these cases before these people die, before important witnesses die, before evidence is lost. So that's hence the reason for it being called race against time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and what does one do when one's an investigative reporter and one is concerned about these unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era as a mm -hmm. reporter, as an investigative reporter, what, what, what does one do? How does one, how does one, uh, uh, move, uh, what, what, what leverage does one have? What, what, what pressure does one use mm -hmm. through his writing, through his work? Tell me what, what, what your role is as an investigative reporter in this process of trying to reopen some of these unsolved sure. murder cases. Well, I, 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 I view our job as investigative reporters and especially with in keeping with these cases is our job is to expose the truth. Like let a light shine on what really happened. And that's our job. We, we, we share, you know, the truth of what happened. Because a lot of people don't know these things. You know, for example, you mentioned about the Birmingham church bombing. I'm, I'm sure a number of people have heard about the Birmingham church bombing, but they may not realize that 50 other people were injured. Mm -hmm. uh, people may have heard of Rosa Parks, but they may not realize that four other young black women were arrested on a uh, Montgomery bus before Rosa Parks refused to mm -hmm. give up her seat. And so those are the kind of things people need to know uh, and perhaps don't know. Uh, and I know a number of people who've read my book said I had no idea, and mainly white Americans have come back to me and said, I had no idea all this happened. 
And by knowing that, you can do something. You can try to do something about it. Maybe make amends in some way as a society. Um, but with regard to these particular cases, we expose what happened. Like we go and interview witnesses. We go and see what the FBI collected at the time. We go and look and see what local law enforcement information they collect at the time. We get transcripts and other kinds of information and try to collect all this information. And began to. Uh, to share it. And, you know, and I, so I just think the press plays a, a critical role. I'll give a quick example in the Megger Evers case that you played the, the audio from earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when I began looking at that case in 1989, what I found out was uh, I found these secret records that involved the state segregationist fight you see here in Mississippi that was done as a Mississippi Sovereignty Commission. Uh, and and, I, and if you're like me, if someone tells me I can't have something, I want it a million times worse. Mm-hmm. And so there was something, like I said, the Sovereignty Commission existed. It was headed by the governor. And it turned out from these secret documents that they had secretly assisted Byron D. De Beckwith in, in terms of trying to get him acquitted for Meg Rivers' murder. And nobody knew that at the time. And so I wrote a story about that October 1st of 1989. At the time I wrote the story, the odds were literally more than a million to one against the case that were being reoperated, prosecuted. Uh, there was no murder weapon, nothing, no evidence left, uh, no court transcript. But but Merle Evers, the widow of Meg Revers, believed and she prayed and some amazing things happened. A couple months later, Jackson police are cleaning out a closet. obtained the crime scene photographs of the killing of Meg Revers, including the fingerprint mm-hmm. of Byron Deal Beckwith lifted from the murder weapon. A few months after that, Merle Evers shared with me her copy of the court transcript that she had saved. And a few months after that, the prosecutor in a case found the murder weapon in his father-in-law's closet which sounds like I'm making it up, but it really happened. So mm-hmm. those are, you, you begin to push for justice, and, and people, it, I think it begins, you know, you begin to write the truth, and people are, begin to be upset about injustice being done, and then they, too, realize, hey, something should be done about this. So that's the way I kind of uh, view the role of an investigative reporter in this. Yep. It raises a fascinating question, which we may get to later in this hour, about whether or not justice delayed is, in fact, justice denied. We'll put a sure. pin. We'll put a pin in that Great for the. Question. Yeah, we'll put a pin in that for the time for the time sure. being, Jerry. But let, let me just ask you though, whether or not you believe that all these decades later, the South does, in fact, how might I put this? Uh, whether or not the South has the stomach to really reopen um, these cases to to, to wrestle uh, with these uh, these unsolved murders, and I and I ask that. Because we all remember the story mm-hmm. not too long ago when, speaking to your point of going in the closet and finding something, uh, you recall they found that right. they found that arrest warrant for Carolyn Bryant Donham. Yeah, uh, no. th- this is the white woman. Yeah, one, yeah. sure, in a basement. Yeah. This is the white woman that accused Emmett Till uh, of, uh, of mm-hmm. whistling at her and insulting her. And we know the story of what happened to uh, poor Emmett Till. Uh, but mm-hmm. that arrest warrant was mm-hmm. never served on Carolyn Bryant Donham. And when they found right. that in the restaurant, when they found that arrest warrant in a box in the basement, uh, there were folk demanding, right. if nothing else, demanding. She was already in her in a convalescent home at the time, a nursing home, hey. as I recall, right. a senior home. But there were those who were demanding that, given that they had found that rest warrant, that at a very mm-hmm. minimum that rest warrant be served. Here, this lady had lived fifty some years, uh, fifty eight, right. fifty nine years beyond that moment um, of Emmett's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, she was never arrested. 
And so they refused, prosecutors did, they refused for a variety of reasons to actually serve that warrant on Carolyn Bryant Donham to the dissatisfaction of many. Again, that's my Exhibit A. My question is whether or not you think, even with evidence, even with arrest warrants, et cetera, et cetera, 60 years later, does the stomach have the South to wrestle with to reopen many of these uh, murder cases? Well, at times they have. Uh, I know, you know, for example, you mentioned the Birmingham church bombing. Doug Jones sure. uh, was the prosecutor. I love Doug. Love Doug. Great, great guy. Case. Great guy. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. And, of course, went on to, to be a senator for Alabama mm-hmm. for a term. Mm-hmm. And um, and so you, you, you have examples like that where sons of the South or daughters of the South have, have you know, gotten involved in these cases and help to bring them, you know, bring them about. And yes, you're right. I mean, justice this many years later is not really true justice in many ways. It's just partial justice maybe would be a term for it. But um, but it does, it, it is important mm-hmm. because it is, what is society saying about this? Is this okay or this is not okay? So, it's important from that perspective, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, there, there, I, I think there is some with the, you know some people are willing to do it, and mm-hmm. then some aren't. They they see it and they go, "Well, that happened a long time ago." I mean, I have people that have told me, you know, uh, they'll see my stories, and you know these these guys that committed these crimes and they see photographs or footage of, of these Klansmen going to, you know, going to courtrooms or going off to prison. And they'll say to me, Jerry, why don't you leave these old men alone? Mm. Are, are the, you know, and I tell them these were young killers. Yeah. They just happened to get old. Mm-hmm. Nope. Powerful point. They were young killers uh, who happened to get old. I'm thinking about Jewish brothers and sisters right now. Uh, we were discussing uh, the Israel-Hamas war in the first hour of today's program, and they have a very powerful phrase, a powerful frame, uh, and it's just two words, never again, never again. And whenever they find anybody who was anywhere in any way connected to the Holocaust, um, they will come for you. Um, and, and they say, uh, again, repeatedly, never again. So you're right. Um, they're old men now, but they were young killers then. Um, I'll, I'll put a pin in that for the moment. When we come forward, we'll continue our conversation with Jerry Mitchell, author of the book Race Against Time. A reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era. And I specifically want to ask Jerry when we come forward about some of the cases uh, that are not so well known um, that he's been writing about and researching uh, that ought to be reopened at this moment in time. We know about the photo of the girls. We know about Megha Evers. We know about Emmett Till. Uh, but are there other cases that we don't know so well that he is arguing today ought to be reopened, uh, uh, ought to be uh, looked at again? We'll talk about that with Jerry Mitchell when we come forward on Tavis Smiling. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiling. Who do you trust to get at the truth? Tavis Smiley. Smiley. That's who. The conversation continues right now. Kim, we've got three kids missing down there. What can I do about it? Well, I don't know. I don't believe there's there's three missing. Now, I'm going to tell you why I don't think there's a damn thing to it. They were put in jail in Philadelphia, in East Mississippi, right next to county, right next to John Stennis' home county. And they were going to uh, Meridian. 
There's not a Ku Klux Klan in that area. There's not a citizen's council in that area. There's no organized white man in that area. So that's why I think it's a publicity stunt. He calls it a publicity stunt. Let me unpack what you just heard. So the guy calling uh, this incident a publicity stunt was then Mississippi Senator John Eastland. Uh, the other voice you heard was that of LBJ. This is uh, a phone call between President Lyndon B. Johnson uh, and Mississippi Senator, again, John Eastland. And LBJ is calling Senator Eastland to ask him what he knows about these three missing men. Care to guess what who uh, what who those three missing men were? You heard him say Philadelphia. Yeah, you know who it is. Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. We all know the story well. These three civil rights workers who were murdered in Mississippi. Goodman, Schwerner, and Cheney. Uh, there, uh, a phone call again between the president, uh, Lyndon Johnson, and the senator from that state, John Eastland, uh, about what he knows about these three missing men. Uh, and John Eastland, uh, Jerry Mitchell, essentially calls it a publicity stunt. <laughs> what, yep. what, what do you make of that phone call? Well, I, that, that phone call, which I've heard before, just, you know, angers me. Uh, I mean, it, it was, I mean, he knew there was Klan. <laughs> I mean, there was Klan there. I mean, it was Klan rampant in, in Neshoba County. So it's just not true for starters. Uh, and the fact that he's telling the president of the United States, it's a, it's a hoax mm -hmm. that says a lot, isn't it? You know, says a lot. And, and it's just, you know, they, they we're all, uh, you know, it's not like Senator Eastland was that disconnected of the white citizens council, <laughs> and mm -hmm. the, you know, and, and, and all those, you know, white supremacist guys. I mean, they just weren't, they worked on their campaigns. I mean, these Klansmen. Some of these Klansmen worked on their campaigns. Edgar Ray Killen worked on Senator Eastland's campaigns. It's just a fact, you know, and um, it's just fascinating uh, how they try to distance themselves from yeah. from what happened. And, and he wasn't alone. I mean, you know, and he later on, I think, said, well, why don't guess it was him? It was somebody else. Uh, a Mississippi politician said that they're probably smoking cigars right now with uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba. Mm. You know, it was that kind of yeah, garbage. And uh, and the governor of Mississippi stood at the Neshoba County Fair and said, why, there are more people missing today in Harlem than there are in Mississippi. And he was literally standing within like a mile or two from where the bodies were buried. Mm. I mean, it's just it's just incredible, just incredible, yeah. uh, the audacity of Eastland and some of the others. No, it's fascinating to hear all these years later the voice of uh, President Johnson, uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, talking to this senator of Mississippi about these three missing men. Uh, and, of course, again, uh, the bodies of Goodman, Schreiner, and Chaney were eventually, Chaney, that is, uh, were eventually found. Uh, but to hear him call this a, 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 a hoax and, uh, and a publicity stunt is just really uh, hard to, to square, hard to juxtapose with the reality that these three boys, these three young men were murdered in Mississippi. Our guest is Jerry Mitchell. His book is called Race Against Time. A reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era. So we've talked about the fall of the girls, um, Jerry, in Birmingham. We've talked about Megar Evers right. in Jackson, 
right. uh, Neshoba County. We talk about now with Goodman, Schreiner, and Cheney, some of the more famous cases mm-hmm. uh, re- yeah. regarding uh, persons who were murdered during the civil rights era. But I asked a moment ago if you might just tee up a couple things that you've been writing about and you and your team at the mm-hmm. Center for Investigative Reporting there in Mississippi have been working sure. on that we ought to that we ought to know more about and, 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 and why some of these cases ought to be reopened as well. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, and I'll take it uh, forward a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, beyond just the civil rights era, because, you know, these kinds of killings have continued to happen and violence, you know, mm-hmm. beyond just the killings, violence uh, against African-Americans. Um, for example, uh, in 2018, there was a, a man who was a black man who was killed in the uh, a jail in Grenada, Mississippi, mm-hmm. and he died at the hands of law enforcement. This is just before the George George Floyd. Okay, mm-hmm. officer kneeled on his neck. Other officers this is all on video. Officer kneeled on his neck. Other officers kneeled on his back. Um, you know, and uh, got up off of him, and and, and he, he never breathed again. The officers not only were they not charged. They were never even disciplined in this case, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And so, and his mom died in the same jail years earlier, who was, she was hogtied. Mm-hmm. So these, these kind of incidents have gone on and people don't know about them. And it's only because uh, I was able to get a video, you know, posted online that people even knew about it. Uh, so, those are the kind of things that happen, and we need to let people know. Yeah. Why, why, why is it in twenty three, uh, in twenty twenty three? Uh, why is it that we all know the name George Floyd, and I'm glad we do. Uh, hate that we had to come to know the name mm-hmm. through the through that sure. particular process uh, with uh, Derek Chauvin and those other cops who, who murdered him essentially. Um, but why is it that we know the name of George Floyd and we don't know the name of this young man who was yeah. murdered in the same Probably way in Mississippi? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's because of the publicity. I mean, George Floyd got international, you know, publicity Mm -hmm. and uh, the uh, Robert Loggins didn't, you know, for whatever reasons. And and so and like I said, it was it didn't just happen to him. It happened to his own mom, too, Mm -hmm. in the same jail. So it's 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 a story that ought to be known. Yeah, for sure. What 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 is the recourse? Um, again, to your being an investigative reporter, and working with sure. your, working with your team to, to to get these unsolved murder cases reopened. Like, what's in a yeah, case in a case like that? What's, what's your re, what's your recourse? Yeah. Well, we've written about it at length and continue to write about it. Uh, there's currently a civil case mm-hmm. uh, currently against uh, against the department and the officers involved. Um, in fact, the, the officer that kneeled on him, actually, the, the county, or, or pardon me, the city refused to represent. So mm-hmm. they're, he's going to, he had to go get his own lawyer. Uh, but it's pretty obvious, and these guys even lied to the investigators who investigated this. And that's the thing that's just galling. But what we do is we expose this, and like I said, now there's going to be there's going to be a trial, civil trial on this. Mm-hmm. But hopefully what will come out of this is... Um, you know, uh, I know the FBI has been looking at it, so mm-hmm. hopefully there will be something, you know, potentially done uh, as well on the criminal side. Because obviously what these guys did was, was terribly wrong. Yeah. More to come with Jerry Mitchell. Um, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk. 
This is Tavis Smiley. I feel like Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Jerry Mitchell, I could have uh, asked you this question to to commence our conversation, but I, I want to ask you now before I end up losing you at the top of the hour here. Um, I, I'm always curious as to the uh, always curious about the backstory of people who decide to spend their lives in pursuit of any particular thing, but especially in pursuit of justice. Not enough folk dedicate themselves to that. So, somebody, let's just ask a personal question, if I can. What 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 animates you? What 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 drives you to do this every day? Uh, to do the research, to do the work, to try to get these cases uh, uh, not just uh, written about and uh, make the public aware of them, but to get them reopened and, and prosecuted. What 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 what's your what drives you in that regard? Well, it's I, I think very simply the injustice of it. I, I, it's it just it's outrageous. I mean, you know, justice should you know. Um, shouldn't have to do with with the color of people's skin i mean you know it's but unfortunately historically in this country it's been uh been a, a dual system of justice and that's for people of color and and for those who who happen to be white and um that's unfortunate we we can't do that we can't uh, survive society and have have that so yeah. that's why we've got to you know that's why you know that's what angers me. I mean, for example, these these uh, civil rights cases. Mm-hmm. What what's really upsetting when you think about them? It was not just that these guys got away with murder; it was the fact that everybody knew they got away with murder. Mm-hmm. So it's like the height of injustice. So if you have a, 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 a homicide captured on video and nobody is prosecuted. And, and not even this one for that, you know, that needs to be exposed. We're currently working on, uh, our center is working on these cases. You may have heard about this case, the goon squad. Oh yeah. No, we heard about this. The Absolutely. Two, Absolutely. The, the two black men. And so we're investigating, not just what happened in that particular case. We're certainly looking at that, but we're looking at other cases like other instances of violence that mm-hmm. this squad carried out mm-hmm. and it's more than a few well the, it's the, more than a few the amazing thing about the goon squad story as you know is that it's a rare rare example i mean frankly as you know you cover this it's historic mm-hmm. it's never happened oh yeah where, where all these cops mm-hmm. pled guilty they knew they, they they knew they were dead to rights. And so in this goon squad, um, sure. these cops all pled guilty. Now, the unfinished business, I was just in Mississippi a couple months ago, and I, I met with right. family members. I, I spoke there. I was literally there. I right. was there during the Emmett Till anniversary weekend uh, over the summer. Right. And right. I got download mm-hmm. on this case pretty pretty well when I was there. And um, the, the question uh, that they were wrestling with when I was there was how they were going to get rid of Brian Bailey. So the goon squad... Um, uh, they've gotten mm-hmm. rid of, but the, but the sheriff right. is still in power. The question is, how do you get rid of the sheriff that that, that oversaw all of this? Well, and and it's a good question. Mississippi law that it makes it very very difficult to get rid of a sheriff. Yeah. I mean, the only way you would, like let's say he gets hypothetically, if he were to get charged, indicted, and and then convicted, then then that then he would be. Yeah. You know, automatically kicked out of office. Yeah, but that's the that, that's the sad irony that uh, they 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 got the members mm-hmm. of his uh, of his department. The goon squad is no mm-hmm. more uh, for all the horror and terror that they inflicted. They are no more. But the guy that ran the department, the sheriff, 
is still there. I digress. Our remaining moments with Jerry Mitchell when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Merck Park with love, love, this is Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Got just a, a few minutes left here in conversation with Jerry Mitchell. His book is called Race Against Time. A reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era. Um, Jerry, a couple of exit questions here. Um, it seems to me that it is enough to try to get justice in real time, let alone to do what you and your team are mm-hmm. doing at the center there, uh, looking back on decades and trying to get these cases reopened. Yes. Um, I, I, I'm curious as to how you sustain your hope. Again, if it's tough to get justice in real time, uh, going back decades, it can't be easy. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Those cases are harder. And um, but I, I, you know, I'm a person of faith, and so I do I do have hope. And um, yes, justice. The way I think about it is this: in order to have justice, you have to have truth. Mm-hmm. But even if justice can't be found or justice is incomplete, as in some of these cases, you you can still have truth. So that's what I view our role as, that is, is being able to assess truth as best we can to share that with the public, which often doesn't know about these cases. Mm-hmm. So, or doesn't know know much about these cases, and the power. So, I I consider, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, and the power, uh, the, the 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 power, the, the the end result of the public being mm-hmm. exposed to that truth, to your mind, is what people begin to open their eyes. I know I've heard that with people who read my book and said, I had no idea mm-hmm. all this happened, and so. When people begin to open their eyes and realize what's happening, they realize and say, "Oh, this isn't this isn't just some little rogue group. This is like, uh, you know, this was a concerted effort, you know, to, to bring about things. You know, in the Mississippi burning case, I mean, you had uh, the Meridian. You know, there were." Meridian police, you know, were spying on Mickey Schwerner and mm-hmm. his wife, mm-hmm. and then and relaying that to the Sovereignty Commission. And so there are all sorts of things, you know, connected up with these. When the Sovereignty Commission investigated their investigator, who was he talking to when he went to town? Mm-hmm. The Klansman. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know no. what I mean? I mean, so uh, there's very much a connection. Uh, with with leadership i know some of these sheriffs have been members of the clan a lot some law enforcement were members of the clan and obviously law enforcement were involved in the killing of those three uh civil rights workers as yeah. well so th- those are the kind of things and that's why it's important to show this because yeah. it shows not just a, an isolated incident but a pattern it's a heavy lift uh somebody's got to do it and i'm glad that jerry mitchell and his team are doing just that. He is the founder of the Mississippi Center for Investigative Reporting, author of the book Race Against Time. A reporter reopens the unsolved murder cases of the civil rights era. Uh, Jerry, once again, thank you for your work and witness. Good to have you thank on. Thank you so much. Uh, good to have yeah. you on this program. Appreciate it very much. No, and given that you're a person of faith, I'll just say stay on the wall. You know my, you, you take my point. Yeah, Stay absolutely. on the wall. Uh, that's our program for today. Back here tomorrow, Lord willing to do it all over again. Uh, Until then, thanks for tuning in to Tavis Smiley, and as always, keep the faith.